All right, good afternoon. Hey, fix that mic. Fix that mic. Point it up a little bit. All right. Man, I'm just about to abandon my sermon. We just pray some more. Yeah, that was a test. <laughs> Jamie Lee, you took the lead in that. No, we're going to bring the word today. Because the word is like wood to the fire. Uh, Aaron and I, we had the privilege of speaking at New Philly's first retreat in Australia last weekend. There were about 30 people that came. And we had a fantastic time preaching and ministering. Uh, the, tr- the retreat was small enough that we even got to lead small groups. And it was just a joy getting to know everybody. Uh, we even had one baptism during the retreat. And after the retreat, we got to eat some delicious food. We had the world's best wulamsam, which is like Vietnamese spring rolls, except Koreanized. Uh, we had uh, some good ribs at Hurricanes, some good Lebanese at Al Asil. The restaurant's doing so well, they upgraded everything. The whole exterior, interior was completely upgraded. It was, it was powerful just to, just to see how the Lebanese restaurant kingdom is growing so quickly. And we also got to meet uh, various English ministry pastors of Korean churches in Australia. Seven pastors total. Uh, it was a joy to meet them all. And how many of you guys know that the kingdom of God advances through relationship? Amen. It's very important that we stay connected and be in relationship with the wider body of Christ. No matter what the disagreements, unless they're being like real Pharisaic, right? They're being real, real Pharisaic and they don't, they don't show no love. Then, you know, then we just, we be patient. We just keep our distance. You know what I'm saying? Because that's what Jesus did with the Pharisees. But anyway... But then there's the Nicodemuses, right? There's, there's those who are hungry and they're searching. So we've got to keep in relationship with the rest of the body of Christ because the kingdom advances through relationship. And I'm trusting the Lord that he will use our church plant to bring greater unity amongst the churches in Sydney. I, I really feel like that's a mandate that's on our house. And one thing that God really burned into our hearts during this trip was that the New Philly church plant in Sydney is happening at God's appointed time. That this is not just a a, a human schedule that we're moving on. We're really moving at heaven's timetable. The Lord is setting everything up. And we need to be dressed and ready to serve. The message that, that... God put on Aaron and my heart is that we need to prepare because God's going to gather his army in Australia like never before. The move that he has prepared for Australia at this hour is powerful. So to the Korea punch team that's moving down and to pastors Jamie and Paul, you guys need to get ready because there's a great harvest. There's a powerful move of God happening in Australia right now and it's going to be one crazy ride. This is not just me making stuff up. This is what God burned on my heart when we were there in Australia. 
And as we met different people and people shared different things, it was very apparent. Like God was make, putting a megaphone in my ear and saying, now is the time. Now is the time. So as a church, let's continue to pray for our Sydney church plant because God's going to do a powerful work. Amen. Amen. I heard last week, um, Pastor David on, along with the praise team, did a fantastic job at the One Voice, One Career prayer meeting. And I heard it was a long weekend because you guys had like Friday fire. You guys had the uh, cycle for hope on Saturday all day. And then you had church service, swim, you know, and then, and then you had to go to this prayer meeting all the way in Bundang of all places, which is a kind of a suburban city outside of Seoul. And so I just want to commend everybody for uh, your commitment. And going out there to intercede for North Korea. Uh, as Pastor Aaron already mentioned, Pastor Emily had the joy of leading someone to Christ. It was her first time doing that. And she just text messaged me while I'm in Australia. And she's just like, I need to talk to you right now. And I was like, chill, girl, I can't. I'm going to have to just settle for a text message. Yeah. And the cool thing is she asked the Lord that morning. That it would be cool to lead somebody to Christ. And God gave her that, that joy. And I'm so proud of all the Emmaus staff and student leaders who organized the Emmaus retreat. Light it up this weekend. Over 110 students were there. Right? A little over 110? 118. Uh, I'm sorry about that. 118. And. Oh, yeah, I got, I got the membership vote. I'll do that in a second. No, I'm going to do it after my sermon now. I already started. Okay. The theme was light it up. And boy, did Jesus light it up. I heard the Holy Spirit's fire fell all over the place. As Pastor Aaron preached. Everybody got the Holy Smackdown. What was cool was I also heard right after that Pastor Marcus preached a powerful word at the Itaewon Leadership Retreat. And that people got hit with fire there too all over the place. And then that same fire fell at the seaside leadership retreat where Pastor Ronnie Henderson all the way in Busan was ministering and speaking. In fact, Pastor Ronnie Henderson and his wife Belinda are going to be ministering for us at our hillside leadership retreat next weekend. So get hype about that. And in hearing all this news last night, Praise the Lord, man. I just, felt, I just felt so proud of everyone. Just, I, just felt, I, I just felt like a proud papa. You know, the leaders of this house are an army of mighty warriors. When Satan attacks and Satan discourages them, they don't back down. They take their stand against the enemy's lies. Humble, healthy, anointed leaders, they know who they are as sons. And they do everything for the kingdom with love, joy, and with authority. And it is a beautiful thing to see the sons of God take their place. All of creation is awaiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, the Bible says. And in this house, they are really taking their place. And the best part was, I was not physically present for any of these retreats. I was at home last night, <clears throat> and I was about to go to the Itaewon Leadership Retreat, but I just felt like the Lord says, just chill, just stay home. 
<clears throat> and so I was re-listening to Pastor Robert Daniels, my spiritual grandfather. Uh, I was listening to his recent message called A Living Sacrifice. And I just felt like the Lord was like, like, present your sacrifice of praise on the altar. And I will send fire down from heaven. And so I just worshiped and prayed. And as I did that, I realized that people, there was a chorus of prayer that was already, that was already going up to heaven. I was just joined in on that. And as I just joined in on that, I just felt like God was just promising. just a powerful outpouring. Not at just the Emmaus retreat, but at every retreat that we were holding. And man, it was so cool that God did that. You know, it wasn't like, you know, Pastor Rodney Henderson, oh, he's the guest speaker. That's why we felt you saw the fire fall. No. And in fact, at Pusan, they saw the fire fall beginning last week. They got an early start. <laughs> I heard last Sunday, people were just all over the floor crying. And Pastor uh, Herman couldn't even finish leading worship. <laughs> Man, the anointing does flow from the top down. You know, it's very important that... Not only you lift up the sacrifice of praise, that, but that your pastor continually offers to God the sacrifice of praise. It's just a powerful weekend, and I'm just so proud of everybody. Just so proud of everyone. Uh, today I want to preach a message from a chapter of a book that I'm reading right now by Pastor Erwin McManus. He's the pastor of a multi-site church located in L.A. called Mosaic. So I'm gonna, I've been reading this book, and it's just been really speaking to me powerfully. And I, and I just want to um, shamelessly just take this material that I've read in this book, and I just want to preach it. Because it's that good. This is powerful. Have you ever been on a roller coaster? How many of you guys, you enjoy riding roller coasters? You know, I used to love roller coasters as a child. Anything that went fast. Yeah, it was, just, it was scary, but it was at the same time exhilarating. It was thrilling. But in high school, I suffered a concussion. And after I got this concussion, I realized every, every time I roll roller coasters, I get mad nauseous. I get mad dizzy. I, was, I must be getting old, but I was only like 19, 20. But anyway, even though I get some of these post-concussion uh, symptoms sometimes, I still enjoy roller coasters. Because though it can be scary, it can also be exhilarating. And roller coasters are built for speed. It's all about how fast you can go, how, how sharp of a drop you can get, with the least amount of seatbelts and harnesses that you can get. You know, some roller coasters will be like, you know, you know, you just get like a little lap belt, but then the drop is like crazy, you know? Anyway, our world today... Is moving at an incredible speed, isn't it? Everything is moving faster. There's fast food. You know, many of us don't use ovens in a typical week. We like to pop it in our microwave. Why wait 15 minutes when you can get it heated in 15 seconds, right? And all the men in here, we don't use the medium setting of the microwave. We always just leave it on high. <laughs> or we just try to get it as fast as possible. That's not smart, by the way. You've got to use a medium setting sometimes. Some food doesn't cook so fast so well. Uh, snail mail has been replaced by email. 
Music has gone from LPs to cassettes to CDs, and now we don't even have CDs anymore. We've got MP3s. Music you can get the moment it's released. You can get it down onto your iPhone, to your smartphone. Movies. In fact, technology is moving so fast right now that the movie industry, like Steven Spielberg, is predicting that movie theaters are going to be obsolete in a couple years. That there will be no more movie theaters. Why do we go to movie theaters? We like the big screen. Well, these days, you can get a big screen TV at home. Why do we go to movie theaters? Because of the high quality. Well, in a couple of years, not only are we going to have full full HD at 1080p, we're going to have what's called 4K technology, which is four times the resolution of what we see right now. And you're going to see it on your TVs. There's already TVs that have been released with that kind of resolution. So things are moving so quickly, Steven Spielberg's like, man, nobody's going to come out to watch a movie anymore. Who wants to pay $10? Well, you can get the same quality and same, same, you know, size at home. Man, the world today is moving so quickly. In fact, you could get a movie in a theater one month. And in the old days, it took like almost six months to a year before that thing came out on DVD. But these days, man, you, you, go, you go and you, you, you wait four weeks to watch a movie. And people are like, or they already have the DVD or they already downloaded it on, through Netflix and watched it at home. Technology, economy, our economy, the media, fashion, education, everything is moving so quickly right now. In fact, one of the biggest concerns of education is by the time they write up a curriculum, write up a textbook, that by the time it's published, it's already obsolete. Not too long ago, there were experts that studied generations, and they evaluated that a generation changes every 40 years. But nowadays, with an acceleration of generational changes, we went from baby boomers to baby busters to generation X, generation Y, millennials. People are changing rapidly, radically, and it's not taking 40 years. I mean, can you imagine wearing the clothes of your parents' generation? That's unheard of, right? But back in biblical times, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob probably wore hand-me-downs or something like that. And they didn't mind. Because fashion didn't change so fast back then. But these days, not only would you not wear your parents' fashion and clothing, you probably wouldn't even wear like Fashion and clothing from somebody who's just like 15 years older than you. Somebody who's even 10 years older than you. You might be like, oh, you old. (laughs) You got to get with it. Young people these days, they don't wear that anymore. You know, I grew up up in an urban city. And uh, baggy clothes is where it's at. In hip-hop culture, you wear baggy clothes and that's it. And so when I go back to Philly, man, I, wear, I make sure I have some baggy clothes with me. You don't, you don't walk around the streets of Philly with, with something tight, you know? And in fact, all my life, I thought fitted, tight clothes, you know, it didn't look good. I thought, you know, it, it, did, it, looked, it, looked, uh, it, it didn't look good. I think fill in the blank what urban kids might have said. Uh, but when I went to Australia like four years ago and I preached, man, everybody was wearing these tight, skinny jeans. And I'm not talking about the women. I'm talking about the men. <laughs> they were wearing these skinny, tight jeans. 
And I was, it looks like they need like three people to help them get out of them jeans at the end of the day. And I was like, man, that is never going to catch on. That's never going to catch on, right? Exactly one year later, like America, like skinny jeans for men just took off. Like it's not as skinny and tight as in Australia. But man, those slim jeans just took off everywhere. Now everybody, if you wear baggy something, like these days I, I break up my baggy uh, jeans now and then, I look like an idiot. <laughs> if you're wearing baggy still, you can continue. <laughs> but I'm just telling you, in Korea, man, Korea moves. The city of Seoul, it moves with the times. And fashion, man, Seoul is a, uh, it's a, it's a fashion they're, they're fa- very fashionable in Seoul, I think. But you go, you go, go back to America, some cities and towns you go to, people still wearing clothes from like 30 years ago. <laughs> and that's not the point of my message. <laughs> Let me move on. <clears throat> We're living in this fast and rapid changing world, and the church is right in the middle of it. Some call this the age of discontinuity. An age of cultural turbulence. You got urbanization. You got migration. You got people here at this church representing probably about 30, 35, 40 nations right here. And we don't all laugh at the same jokes. <laughs> Except on Sundays, you guys try to you pretend you know all my humor. Because you don't want to feel left out. This right here, this right here is urban American black humor. And you guys want to feel like you fit in so everybody laughs along. But that's okay, right? But every, in here, there's such a cultural diversity and the world is not only changing, it's just, there's just no continuity. There's things, change has always been around, don't get me wrong. But it's the, it's the rate, it's how fast and how dramatically change is happening that the church right now, it looks like it's been taken by surprise. And the church... It has been unprepared for the acceleration of our times. And it's threatening to leave the church behind and being obsolete. What we need to understand is the church has never, was never meant to fall behind with the times. Our very DNA is to be a movement. Although our permanent home is in heaven and we are strangers in this world, we are still called to make an impact on the culture in which we live. And thus the church must always be ready to adapt, to move. We are to pitch tents, not cathedrals. But sometimes the church chooses to build monuments rather than movements. Now monuments are very important, and they play a role in helping us to give honor where honor is due. To remember people and to remember the good things that people have done. But brothers and sisters, the church was never meant to be a monument. If you turn to Isaiah 43, let's turn to Isaiah 43. This is a prophecy that I preached from way back in January of 2008. A few months before I became the lead pastor of this ministry. There were several people in the congregation at that time who heard this message live. And it was a prophetic word that went out. Because even when I preached that message at that time, I didn't know that I was going to be the lead pastor. I just preached it in faith. Isaiah 43, verse 17 and 18. I mean, 18 and 19. 
I'm going to read it in the NIV for you. So if you have the ESV, just read along. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See or behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. I am doing a new thing. Do not dwell on the past. Now, if you read scripture, God is a God who continually commanded his people to remember. That's a very important thing. Remember the works of God. Remember the miracles. Remember the way in which he delivered you out of Egypt. God continually commanded his people to remember what he had done in the past. But while we are to remember the past, we are not to remain in the past. Erwin McManus says it like this. Our memories of God's activity in our lives are to move us into the future. Our experiences from the past are to give us the confidence to face the challenges of tomorrow. Brothers and sisters, we're not to build monuments, but we are to join in with the movement of God on the earth. We got to move in. We got to join in the movement of God's kingdom advancing on the earth. Now, sometimes Christians, instead of making the church out to be a monument, sometimes they make it out to be a monastery. A secure refuge from the fallen and lost world around us. And for some, life feels very unsafe because we don't know if we're going to make it. We don't, we, there's a lot of bad things that happen to us out there in the lost and fallen world. And so it's like life is like a roller coaster and the seatbelt has broken. And your lead pastor is saying, let's move, let's move, let's go. And you're like, no, slow down, slow down. Because life feels unsafe. And so a lot of Christians, they tend to turn their churches into monasteries. Places of refuge. Places where they can be safe and uncontaminated from the outside world. But the church was never meant to be a monastery either. It is supposed to be a movement. The church is to serve as a refuge For an unbelieving world. Not from it. The church is not supposed to be a museum of dead saints. Or a monastery of scared ones. The church is to be a hospital for sinners. Like one person said. When Jesus was accused of hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. He responded by saying that it's not the healthy who need a doctor. But the sick. He did not come to call the righteous. But sinners. The church must resist being influenced by the demonic yeast of the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees are always going to insist on turning the church into this refuge from the world. To keep it uncontaminated from the world. But when the church rises up in their identity, in their authority, in their anointing, they know that the world should be the ones that are scared. The, one, the world is, 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 we have the ability to change the culture that we live in. Not the culture changing us. The church must be the place where seekers find truth. Where the broken and weary find rest and healing. Where the orphan and outcast are embraced 
and loved. That's what the church is supposed to do. And when the church is a movement, not a monastery, she is able to transform the very culture from which we tend to run out of fear. The world we live in, but it's just, it's changing rapidly, isn't it? And the problem with the church is it tends to be a few decades or even a few centuries behind. You know, each, uh, Erwin McManus says that each denomination has its own century of preference. He says that the key to dealing with this rapidly changing world is not to try and play catch-up, but to give up on keeping up and discover that there is something more significant than just moving, and that is the power of force. When there is apostolic momentum in the church, the world will feel the force of the kingdom advancing through the church. You see, the early church uh, didn't spend all of its energy trying to keep up with the times. The first century church changed time. It made history. It set the culture. It defined and was the salt and light of the cities in which they lived in. The church radically impacted culture. And they understood that the church is supposed to be the forerunner, not the runner-up. Erwin McManus's idea. It's pretty, he's a pretty brilliant thinker, I, I must add. And when the church has played this forerunner role, that's when we see the greatest artists, inventors, thinkers come forth from the culture that the church has shaped. So how do we regain this kind of momentum for the cities and nations in which we live in? Well, this is where uh, Erwin McManus, he uses a little bit of physics. He says that science tells us that the formula for momentum is P equals M times V. Okay. Our Malaysian college students are saying yes to that. P equals M times V. P stands for momentum. M equals mass. And V is velocity. So classical mechanics tells us that momentum is the combination of mass and velocity. Mass and velocity. Velocity without mass cannot produce momentum. Similarly, mass without velocity does not produce any momentum either. If either is missing, the equation ends at zero. But when any bit of mass and velocity are joined together, we begin to see momentum. I'm taking, I'm taking a church plan class right now in my seminary. And in it, we're looking at the church growth movement. Church growth uh, movement was kind of uh, started up by Fuller Seminary, some professors that are there. And the central issue in church growth conferences and books is oftentimes... Mass, that's the central issue. How big can I get my church? How can I get more people to attend my Sunday service? Church growth is oftentimes focused on mass. 
And it doesn't take a genius to figure out that mass is very important. I mean, you can have the, the best values and vision and church program and discipleship literature in the world. But if the only people joining you for worship are your family members. How many of y'all know churches like that or you attended churches like that? Or that was your dad's church? I'm not dogging on that. I mean, God bless the obedience of, of many of our people from our first generation. But yeah, when, when the only people showing up is your family members, you don't have much momentum. Mass is very important. Mass for the church equals people. When the more people you have, the more mass you have. Without people, there is no momentum. And as Christians, we all know how important it is to reach more people for Christ. But you know what? The church's sentiment towards mass is a lot of times very mixed. They're like, yeah, 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 harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Yeah, we got to bring in the harvest. We got to reach more people. But then when more people show up and, and messes up your comfort level, that's when people are like, I don't know about all this. I don't know if I want more mass. I like the church the size that it is. Pastor Christian, let's, well, let's just keep it. Let's chill out a little bit. All right? We got to be about quality, not just quantity. Uh, some people even equate big with evil or corruption. There is a growing sense right now in some parts of the body of Christ that small is better. You have the simple and organic church movements. People who are planting churches, and they're like, I, I planted like 20 churches last year, or 20 churches in the last five years. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's awesome, 20 churches. What's the average congregation size? And they're like, uh, 10. Oh, okay, well, praise God, praise God. You know? But they, they, there's, a, there's a tendency in one part of the body of Christ right now to think that small is better. In fact, when I first took over New Philly, people asked me, if the church was going to get bigger. But as they asked me, their question was filled with this negative vibe. It's like, will the church get bigger? But it was more like, the church better not get bigger. <laughs> this is my church. Don't ruin it. I took over this ministry. I didn't, I didn't start it. I just took it over. And people who, who, who've been around for longer, they, they had this comfort. They were like, I like... It used to be called JSCM. I like JSCM the way it is. Don't rock the boat so much. Just keep it as it is. Is the church going to get bigger? And I had to ask the Lord myself, Lord, are you going to make the church bigger? And I just felt like the Lord said, that ain't even a question. You're living in fast times, population explosion, migration, urbanization. If you stay the size you are, that's just, just... that's going to be just disobedience. That's going to be a sign of disobedience. You're going to have to work harder to keep it the size it is because of the gifts and calling that I put on your life. God is looking for faithfulness. But don't forget, he's also looking for fruitfulness. A lot of times, fruitfulness is a sign of true faithfulness. Well, it, it all depends. For the local church, it depends on what context, what city in which your church is planted. Now, if you're in the middle of Iowa, Idaho, some crazy suburb, like two hours from Las Vegas in the middle of Nevada, 
All right, then, then you got to be just faithful, all right? And being faithful might mean your church remains at a, at a size of like 200 for the next 20 years. But New Philly, we're in a city. Fast-growing city. You know, the very people who are very critical of mega churches and church growth, oftentimes they're the same ones who are inspired and blessed by the unique ministries that emerge through critical mass. The worship music they listen to, the Bible study material that they use at their small church, and the missions ministries that they financially support are oftentimes produced by mega churches. And that's because there are Certain things that only a mega church can do with critical mass. You gotta have a certain mass to be able to do certain kingdom purposes. Mass is important, but at the same time, bigger is not always better, is it? You can have a crowd of thousands gathering every Sunday at your church, but you can have no genuine momentum. Just have a lot of attendance, but not much momentum for the kingdom. You know, Michael Jackson, before he passed away, he used to pack out stadiums. We're talking thousands. We're talking tens of thousands. We're talking hundreds of thousands sometimes. It's like the millions and the millions of people in the world loved Michael Jackson and followed him religiously. And there was a lot of enthusiasm and energy in his fan base. But when it came down to it, there was very little momentum. Other than the the song "Heal the World," right? Heal the world, make it a better place. You know, that made everybody feel good, and maybe there was some fruit that came out of that. But there wasn't any lasting, uniform momentum that came out of his music and out of his career. Mass does not always equal momentum. In Judges chapter six and seven, we read the story of Gideon, and in this story. God commands Gideon to go forth and fight the Midianite armies. And these Midianite armies, I mean, they're probably in the millions. I mean, hundreds of thousands, if not millions. There's these huge armies. And he was to go out and fight them. And he was only able to find about 20,000 warriors and soldiers that will follow him into battle. But as he was on his way to fight the Midianites, the Lord gave him specific instructions. And said, tell the soldiers, if any of y'all are reluctant... You want to go home? You can just go home right now. And like a whole bunch of, like 10,000 soldiers, they just turned away right there. And just went, well, I'm going home. Well, I'm glad you pointed it out because I'm reluctant the whole time. I don't even know who we fighting. And people just left. <laughs> and then he came to like a, a river. And then, you know, there's a couple thousand remaining. And then God, God said to Gideon, separate the ones that lap up the water very politely into their mouth. And then those who just go in the water and just start licking it up like a dog. I mean, that's not the way the Lord said it. But anyway, that's essentially what Gideon was looking for. And so he just separated all those people who just went in shamelessly into the water. And at the end, Gideon went into battle with 300 warriors. And he got the victory. So as you see, mass bigger is not always better. In fact, God at the end chose 300 obedient warrior or warriors over 200,000 I mean over 20,000 reluctant ones in fact sometimes before church can grow they may actually experience an initial decline 
This was true when I first took over New Philly in 2008. Right around the time I took over, the average attendance for March and April of 2008 was 113 people. It's pretty good, right? I got to take over ministry with 113 people average. Well, by the last month of that year, the attendance dropped down to 85. Oh, hallelujah. Church attendance declined by 25% in my first year. And now all the haters and all the critics, they're like, oh, look at Christian. He don't know what he's doing. But the Lord, he spoke to my heart. He said, my son, just keep being faithful with what I show you. Because I'm building something here. Oh, I'm building something. And the discerning, those who don't look on just the outer appearance, but look at the heart, they'll be able to tell what you are carrying here. And you, so you got to understand, this church decline in that first year was not my fault. <laughs> Comple- completely not my fault. It was, it was all God. God was pruning the tree so it could bear more fruit. If we were going to grow larger in a way that honors God and is obedient to God, we needed to grow smaller. But growing smaller was not God's goal. The gardener doesn't prune a plant to make it smaller. He prunes it so it can grow healthier and thicker and be more fruitful. God does not think big is bad. It's just that how he gets us to bigger may look a little different than what we have in mind. So New Philly, Sydney, as you guys start. Actually, I don't think y'all are going to see no decline. I think you're going to grow. You're going to bust up. You're going to just blow up. I think a lot of people are going to come. But we'll see. In fact, God's all for bigger. In Genesis, God took Abraham outside and he said, I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth. Now, I don't know. Last time you checked the dust, dust of the earth, there's a lot of dust on the earth. That is a lot of offspring. Then God took him outside and said, look at these stars. I'm going to make your offspring like these stars. And back then, there were no like bright you know, cities and high rises and stuff. You, know, you can see the stars when you go outside. We can't see no stars today. If God said that to us today in the middle of Seoul, we'd be like, oh, God, that's so small. <laughs> I see one and two. And that's an airplane. <laughs> but back then, I mean, you could see the whole sky lit up with stars. And let me tell you, there's a lot of stars out there. I'm not an astro- I'm not a, um, astronomer, but I'll tell you right, there's a lot of stars out there in there. I said astronomer. Isn't that, isn't that a person who studies the star- stars? Hey, 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 don't argue with me. I'm preaching. I'm the one preaching here. All right. Just stay quiet and just say amen. Right. Oh, you're trying to confuse me up here. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached this sermon, and 3,000 people got baptized and saved. And that doesn't include all the people who rejected the message, all the people who are melancholies who listened to the message and needed time to process the message. I mean, there are just huge crowds of people. And if God was worried about quantity negatively affecting quality, he wouldn't add many more people to the church right after. 
But that's not what the Bible says. Acts 2.47 tells us the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And the thing about mass is, with the mass comes a mess. People start lying about their offering. Widows start complaining about distribution of food. Persecution broke out. Proverbs 14.4 in the ESV tells us, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But abundant crops, or in the New King James says, much increase comes by the strength of the ox. In other words, wherever you have mass, wherever you have lots of people, you will also find a big mess. Why? Because people are messy. People's lives are messy. Sin is messy. Relationships are messy. Marriages are messy. The way the Holy Spirit moves the supernatural power at a college retreat is messy. (laughs) But we are not called to have clean mangers. Erwin McManus says, the same people who make the church messy also make the church meaningful. Without mass, you have no momentum. So the first ingredient of momentum is mass. The second ingredient is velocity. For mass to become momentum, there must be velocity. If we grow New Philly to be the largest church in the world, and we have no velocity, we will miss God's purpose for our church. Use all of, using all of the church growth principles and marketing and business principles, we, let's say we ch- grow our church to be the largest. But without velocity, uh, velocity <laughs> we would have completely missed it. Erwin McManus says it like this. Velocity is the church's answer for speed. Speed contains less information than velocity. Speed is used only to express how fast something is moving. But it contains no directional or coordinate information. Velocity is different. It always specifies a direction. So while speed is about motion, velocity is about movement. In other words, velocity is speed with a destination. Spiritually, velocity is speed with a purpose, with a goal, with a mission. And velocity uh, has couple components first is speed the second is direction so you know it's not just about movement it's about movement with a purpose right so velocity has speed and direction and some churches have direction but they have very slow to no speed they want to do all these things and fulfill the great commission but they ain't moving one inch toward it Wait until my my children, they all graduate from college, and then I'm going to go on the mission field. There's no moment, no, 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 uh, no speed. God never intended scripture to be studied so we gain lots and lots of information and knowledge. Listen here. Aaron McManus says, the Bible was written so that we might respond to the truth and voice of God. The Bible is not given to you so that you can fill your head with a lot of knowledge. It is given to you so that you are trained in the way of obeying the voice of the Lord and walking in the truths of God. 
Knowing the Bible really well does not guarantee application. And this is why Jesus in Matthew 7 and the Apostle James warns us not only to be hearers of the word, but to be doers. The history of the first century church is called the book of Acts for a reason. A lot of churches today, their history will be called the book of creeds. I can't think of any more clever ones than that. <laughs> McManus defines speed as being determined by one level, one's level of responsiveness to God's commands and teachings. And God's commands and leading. Obedience is the spiritual equivalent of speed. You got the need for speed, then obey. Light speed is immediate obedience to the voice of God. You want velocity? You want speed? Then you got to be willing to obey. When you bring together the willingness to obey, which is speed, with the wisdom to know what God is saying, which is direction, you get velocity. And you know, oftentimes we think that the fastest way to our destination is a straight line. But one thing you got to understand about the kingdom, it's not always true. Yeah. We're not talking linear here. Spiritual things are not in a linear fashion from one point A to point B. Spiritual dynamics, there's all kinds of quantum physics involved as well. It's crazy. It gets crazy. So in the kingdom, God can put you on a whole bunch of detours that seems to delay you accomplishing the purposes he has revealed. But in fact, it's preparing you for your destination. What looks like a setback may actually be a setup if you will learn to stay in faith. The twists and turns can actually accelerate you to your purpose. The resistance that you're facing, the opposition, the persecution, all the haters and what they're saying. Is the church going to grow big? Is it going to go bigger? I don't know, Pastor Christian. Let's just keep it out of it. All that opposition, that resistance is actually making you stronger. It's accelerating you to your destination. That's the way it works in the kingdom. It doesn't always travel in a straight line. It pleases God to fill our lives with surprises. So don't be so anxious to accomplish the vision and purpose of God by insisting on a straight line. You know, when it came to marriage in my life, I always insisted on a straight line. It's like, God, I'm a goal-oriented person. One day, just tell me who it is, and I'll go and I'll, I'll obey. <laughs> and I thought God would enjoy this prearranged kind of agreement. <laughs> but no. He let me fall in love with all kinds of girls. In fact, I had so many crushes, I just also, I was questioning my heart. What's wrong with your heart? <laughs> Why do you like so many different girls? <laughs> Little knowing that God was actually using the crushes that I had, the infatuations that I had, actually prepare me for leadership, to prepare me for my future marriage. And so some people, you know, they, 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 you know, they get into a romantic relationship, 
And, you know, prophetic people prophesy, oh, you were to marry this person. Oh, you guys are a match made in heaven. You just believe that. You receive all that. And then you break up. Then you come to God and go, God, what's up? Why'd you make me waste three years of my life being with this person in a romantic relationship when you didn't even want me to marry them? Did I hear from you wrong? Because I don't think I did. I'm pretty sure you led me. And God says up there, he's just like, it ain't always on a straight line. I'm not, I'm not just doing it for the sake of fooling you or, 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 or making you feel confused. I have a much deeper purpose. You being with that dude for three years, it was actually setting you up for the revival you're experiencing right now. Because when you broke up, you see that brokenness? You see that brokenness that you feel right now? I'm using that to draw you to me. <laughs> but without that brokenness, man, you ain't coming. You ain't coming. You know? Well, God, why didn't you, why didn't you show me that he was cheating on me all these years? Because I was just setting you up for, the, for one day when you get the full revelation of how much he was cheating on you. And, you, and then you realize that you need to just cut this guy out of your life. You know, God takes us to our destination, but it, it's not always on a straight line. So we got to learn how to roll with the punches. We got to learn how to be adaptable. And we got to learn how to embrace the surprises and detours that God sends our way. Now, as a church, there are two components that will increase our velocity. First is intentionality. Intentionality or purpose. And second is acceleration. So, intentionality. Velocity is speed with the direction. This translates into uh, intentionality, into purpose. When the church has a clear direction and moves with intentionality and purpose, this increases our velocity. We've got to continually refocus and move toward our goal. What's the goal of New Philly? What's the vision of New Philly? Raise up an army. It's not to fill up the attendance. It's not to get the biggest buildings in the city. Our vision is to raise up the people of God to do the ministry of God. Ephesians 4.11 says, God gave some to be apostles and prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors and teachers to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Ezekiel 37 shows a vision of a, a valley of dry bones. And God says, look at this. Can these bones live? And the prophet Ezekiel says, Lord, surely you know. And God says, prophesy over these bones. And as he prophesied, breath entered them. And eventually, these valley of dry bones stood up on their feet as a mighty army. A vast army for God. That's our vision. That's our goal. If we're not accomplishing that, I don't care if we've got 10,000 people coming out for worship. And, and Pastor Isaac and David On and, and John Newfield, they sound like Joel Houston and, and, and Israel Houghton. I don't, I don't care if they if they uh, the best singing best-sounding worship leaders in the world, if we're not accomplishing our vision that God has specifically given this house to raise up an army of mighty warriors, then we're failing God. We're being disobedient. And so it's very important that we continue to focus on our purpose. Uh, Another one is acceleration. The second way to increase our velocity is acceleration. Acceleration is increasing the force of our actions. As a church, we want to thrive... And to be forerunners in what others consider to be a culture of blinding speed. A culture that's rapidly changing and is threatening the church. 
we instead put force to our actions so that we can be forerunners in that kind of culture. Uh, Erwin McManus mentions the movie Matrix. In this movie, the agents, they try to destroy Neo. And what Neo finds out is these agents have the ability to move at superhuman speed. So he shoots bullets at them and pop. And then the agent's like completely, like not even scathed, right? Now, if Neo was to fulfill his destiny and deliver his people, he needed to learn how to move at the same rate of speed. Later in the movie, as Neo discovers his true identity and gifts, he also learns how to dodge the bullets. And when you go to that scene, when he's about to dodge those bullets... What others saw at blinding speed, Neo experienced it in slow motion. That's where we get the famous scene. (laughs) Erwin McManus says this, When you move with spiritual velocity, with a clear sense of God's calling, with clarity of vision, and with a heart that moves with immediate obedience to the Spirit... The environment that once overwhelmed you with this rate of speed can now be experienced in slow motion. This culture that was moving so fast, and we're worried the church is going to get obsolete. When we move with divine kingdom momentum, we start experiencing the world around us at slow motion. Isn't that powerful? I thought it was such a powerful analogy. I know that Matrix doesn't have anything to do with Christianity, but you know what? God can use the Matrix to give us insights into the kingdom too. The way the church is going to overcome being overwhelmed by a rapidly changing culture is to know who we are, where we are going, and then to do it with urgency and force. Speed is an important leadership dynamic. Erwin McManus says that uh, speed is important to leadership because it helps the leader identify emerging leaders. So, for example, when the church is too slow, emerging leaders that desire to go somewhere will get impatient and naturally leave. There's some emerging leaders right here in this house. There's some emerging leaders right here from the Emmaus ministry from this semester. And you just feel this burning in your heart to accomplish great things for God. But you go to a church that's moving too slow, and it'll frustrate you. When the leader moves slowly or cautiously, he often perceives that those who are trying to move faster are being rebellious. He misinterprets them as being insubordinate or even as a threat. And I think it's really sad because God has really poured out his spirit. He's showing sons and daughters of his kingdom who they really are. And he sent them on a direction and on a purpose. And they join certain churches, and the, the lead pastor is so slow and cautious, you know, their, their zeal threatens them. Your zeal doesn't threaten me, by the way. I'd be zealous for God here. I want people who are zealous for God. If you're not zealous for God, hurry up. Let's tell you so long. Hey, turn on the AC, man. I'm dying here. All right. I'm not dying. I'm alive. But I'm hot. All right, turn that on. 
It's really tragic that a lot of churches and church leaders, they see velocity as the enemy. And they fail to see the apostolic leaders that God has put into their churches. For those who choose to move slowly, those who move too fast look like a blur. And for those who move too rapidly, those who move slow are virtually invisible. It's like being on a super speed train and staring straight out the window and then trying to identify the face of a person who's standing beside the train tracks. You're just moving so fast. And Erwin McManus says, the rate at which you lead determines who remains in your field of vision. The downside of this is that revolutionary and pioneering leaders are oftentimes are seen as indifferent or uncaring. And if I've ever seemed like that, I'm sorry. It's not that I'm not caring. It's not that I'm apathetic. It's just that I'm moving. I'm moving. And I'm moving. I want to move at the rate that heaven says move in. When the Lord says go plant a church here, I want to be able to move. I want to have immediate obedience. I don't want to have a delay in between. I'm so proud of the house. Even when we punch people to go on this uh, church plant down in Australia, our first international church plant, you know, we, plant, we like punched about like 10, 11 people. And I asked everybody, what is your initial impression? And then give me your final decision a few weeks from now. The initial impression of almost everybody except one person who remained unnamed. <laughs> initial impression of almost everybody was a No. It was a no. And I was like, oh man, Lord, maybe. I just, I, and I felt like some of them God has specifically chosen. So I was like, oh Lord, you got to show them that you're calling them. Lord, you got to show them. I don't want to have to like persuade them and, and, and like, like fight them and challenge them and pray for them and help them overcome all these little fears and insecurities. I want them just to like obey Lord. And the amazing thing is like a week or two later, like almost the entire team, they all said yes on the same weekend. Yeah. It was at like a Sunday swim or something. Yeah. And Hewan and Diddy were in, were in Sunday swim, and they didn't talk to each other about the decision. They were both leaning towards saying no. And the Holy Spirit just put it on both of them, say yes. Yeah. And so they got together, and then they looked at each other, and they knew they were both saying yes. <laughs> like the whole team said yes that same weekend. That's awesome. Yeah. That's speed. Yeah. That's immediate obedience. And if they were incorrect, look, I would have discerned that. And, and we actually said no to one person who said yes. And that's our job, is to, is to serve as that kind of pastor and shepherd. You know, apostolic leaders must understand that we're living in the last days. And the speed by which the kingdom is advancing is moving at light speed right now. We're living in a culture that's moving quick and fast. But, we're, but the good news is the kingdom is also advancing with just as much speed. The birth pangs, the contractions, indicating the end times, they're getting more faster and frequent. And, and I, I found out through Hewan, Pastor Hewan, that when those contractions start getting quicker and quicker, you need to go to the hospital. Hurry up. But that baby's about to come. That's what Jesus said. He likened the end of the world to birth pangs. 
birth contractions, as you see it increase and getting more frequent, don't be alarmed. Don't be worried. The culmination of all things are about to take place. The king of glory is about to take his place. So, so mass is broken down, right? Momentum, P equals M times V. Mass is broken down into volume, but it's also broken down into density. So I'll talk about this last. But practically, the more people, the more volume you, you have, quantity. But then the deeper the maturity of the people, that's talking about density, the quality of spirituality that's there. So both are of equal importance when shaping a movement. When you have mass, you've got to have both the volume and the density. And regarding velocity, velocity is broken down into direction. That's your ability to hear God. And acceleration, that's the speed of your obedience. So direction and speed equals uh, makes up velocity. So practically, the first is about calling people out to a common mission. And getting the whole church out in the same direction. That's talking about the ability to hear God. And then speed is all about getting people moving in that direction. Here at New Philly, I would rather have 10 people who are fully committed over 100 people that are just curious any day. Y'all feel me? That's why we do these leadership retreats. And that's why God pours out his spirit so powerfully at the leadership retreat. In fact, one year ago when we had a leadership retreat with Hillside, Seaside, and Eaton, when all three campuses were there, it was powerful then too. People were getting all jacked up. Like everybody from China was called out. Like all the Chinese were gathered. I'm not from China, but the Chinese were gathered. We had a lot of Chinese in the room. And Kirk Bennett did this prophecy, and, and, and all, the, all the Chinese, they were, they were dancing like they were on fire. <laughs> Pastor Emily was spinning around like, China? <laughs> moving real, even Africa. Like, and I think Kirk Bennett, I, I, try to, I try to come up, we don't actually have that many Africans here. There. The Africans that we do have, they look Korean. <laughs> and so he was, all right, Africans and African Americans, African Canadians. And, and he prayed for all the Africans, and they all got blasted as well. It was a powerful retreat. And then this year, we separated all the uh, leadership retreats and even the Emmaus retreat on the same weekend. God pours out His Spirit with power. Why? At our leadership retreat. Why at our leadership retreat? Because it's all about having a mass, not just a volume, just, not just quantity, but having a mass of people that are committed. That's what it means to have an army of mighty warriors. You know, the little secret here in New Philly is that we don't want you... We, in the beginning, we just want you to attend. We want you to just get used to us. Because it's, it's a little bit overwhelming sometimes. You come in here and everybody loves God. And back at your church, you were the one who loved God the most. And on average, on average, you lifted up your hands once a month during worship. And here, they're lifting up their hands once a minute during worship. And you just get a little overwhelmed. I didn't know there was a church there where everybody would love God like this. But in the beginning, we just want you to come out. Just attend. Just come out to our fellowship. We're normal. Come here. We're, we're normal. Right? And as you come out and you get discipled and you enjoy it, you know, eventually then we challenge you. Why don't you take membership class? Find out what it really means to be a committed member here in our community. And after my sermon, I'm, I'm going to do a membership oath for the 51 people that we're receiving today in the church family. 
But it doesn't stop there. The army of mighty warriors are not just people that are church members. They need to be trained. They need to be anointed. They need to have servants' hearts. And so we do the leadership training. And we tell people, hey, come on. If you need to keep receiving from the house, don't get me wrong. Just keep receiving. But if you're ready to give, you're ready to serve, then take the leadership training. Because our church is about raising up an army of mighty warriors. And we see mighty warrior all over you. You look just like Gideon when he looked like a wimp. That's what you look like right now. <laughs> but in the spirit, in the spirit, we see a mighty warrior. Come, come take this leadership training. The church that learns, this is what Irma McManus said, the church that learns to celebrate the spontaneous movement of God's spirit and even the unexpected invitation to follow him increases the force of its movement. Isn't that what was happening this weekend? We're, we're celebrating the spontaneous move of God's spirit. We're just celebrating. We're embracing it. In other churches, you know, they experience something like that. Everybody's freaked out. Here at our church, we were freaked out five years ago, six years ago. We've gone over it now. Supernatural is natural. Are we embrace it? We celebrate it. Like I came in during, I came in the, in the middle of worship and what people crying. Like, ah, ah. I'm sorry if that was you. <laughs> it wasn't just you. It was several people. And people who are just so stuck on what they knew to be church for the last 20 years, they're like, oh, this can't be God. Oh, what's she doing? Why are they drawing attention to themselves? What's wrong with them? Nothing's wrong with them. Holy Spirit coming with power upon them. What's wrong with you? That's what I'm thinking sometimes. I'm sorry I said it. <laughs> uh, and no, there ain't nothing wrong with them. God, God is bringing healing. God is, God is radically transforming them. Day of Pentecost. That kind of experience is happening still in the church. No matter what popular preachers in L.A. want to say about it. God doesn't, God's no respecter of persons. God's not like, oh, oh, there's a pastor in L.A. doesn't believe in all this. Oh, I better stop. God, God ain't God's like, oh, little sucker, you're going to find out when you get to, get to heaven, you're going to find out all this stuff is real. In fact, God does it in the face of that kind of opposition, that kind of persecution. Because there's always a stigma that comes with the anointing. You want to carry the anointing of God, it's going to be a stigma. If Jesus had to carry a stigma, who thinks that you're immune from that stigma? I just want to end the message by saying, I don't know the details of what the future holds for this church. I'm trying to figure it out. And I, I have some idea, but man, I don't really know. Look at me, I don't, I don't really know. God, God has given us a gen- general direction. He's establishing a strong culture. But I don't know all the details. You know, where, what cities are we going to go to? I don't know. Maybe we'll, we'll go to Tokyo first or maybe we'll go to India first. 
Maybe we'll go to Malaysia first because the Malaysians are, are, are putting such a demand on us. I don't know. But I do know is that we're building a church that has a willingness to obey the Spirit's voice. The Lord's voice. We've got this amazing obedience. And I know that as we move forward, God's going to clarify and direct our every step. So I have no fear. Now, I want to close with this. The cool thing about mass is that everything that has mass has gravity. And when gravity is exerted, exerted, it pulls another object toward it. So people who have, or churches that have mass, are, they, they're very magnetic. They pull people in. So New Philly, right now, we may not have much volume. And we can only do so much to affect that. We can go out and evangelize. We can go out, reach out to our friends, invite our friends. There's only so much we can do to affect the volume. But one thing that we can always affect is our density. As we submit to Christ fully and we carry the heart of a servant. And we let the Holy Spirit come and change our character and shape us. Our spiritual density is going to make our church magnetic. The more Christ reigns in us, the more people are going to be drawn to the Jesus living in us. You know, the, the word glory in the, in the Old Testament literally means density. It means weight, kabod. And there is no one more deeper, bigger, thicker, or more magnetic than God. And that's what God's people do. We reflect His glory. We carry His glory. His glory rises upon us. And people meet us and they're so magnetically attracted to us. And it's not because you're good looking, although some of you are. And it's not because you're saying all the right words. It's because you're reflecting the glory of God. When you have good, deep spirituality and you are making the density, the spirituality of a church nice and deep and strong, and rich. Sons of God who, who know their inheritance. They, who know their identity. When you're building a church with strong density. The glory of God is going to really rise upon us. And people are going to come. People are going to be drawn to the light of our dawn. As it says in Isaiah 60. God has both density Volume, velocity. He's the great mover. From the beginning of Genesis to Revelation, the Bible says that God is always moving. And we as his people and as, as his church, we got to learn how to move with kingdom momentum. Kingdom momentum. So I'm going to review real quick. How can we be a church with kingdom momentum? Well, P equals N times V. Momentum equals mass times velocity. Mass. We got to be a church that keeps on growing. In quality and quantity. Velocity. We got to be a people that have a clear goal. Clear direction. But also have the speed. Our willingness to obey has got to be 
lightning fast so that we stay in step with the Holy Spirit. So as long as we steward these things, New Philly, what I'm trying to say here is we will be unstoppable. A church that moves with kingdom momentum is unstoppable. The culture that we're so afraid of by being contaminated by, we start to be forerunners in that culture. We start to set new standards. Casting out demonic powers from the entertainment industry. From the family units. Church starts to shape culture. And that's what the church is supposed to do. Amen. We are a forerunner church. Amen? Amen. So let us run. Like we're going to win this thing. Let's, let's run. Let's play. Not play, but it's just, I'm just saying. I'm using an analogy for American football. Let's play like Tom Brady. You know, you know I'll just, I just close with this. <clears throat> and uh, Stephen Bocham is going to hate me for saying this, and Caleb as well. But let me, let me just say this. I was having this little friendly argument with, with Stephen Bocham. He's the uh, healing deliverance director at IHOP. And he kept insisting, you know, oh, you, you're a big Tom Brady fan. I'm not a Tom Brady fan. I'm not. But he was like, oh, yeah, Peyton Manning's way better than Tom Brady. And so I was like, oh, really? Is that right? Because the very week that he said that, Tom Brady won this like last minute game. Like it was a last second game. He threw a touchdown. He won this game against New Orleans Saints. And and so I started researching their statistics. And Peyton Manning has easily the highest statistics. Passing yards, uh, uh, touchdowns. You know, he has all these stats. But one thing that you will find when you really look closely is he chokes at the big games. Sorry, Stephen Bochamp. But they did a side-to-side comparison. So, you know, this could be fairly subjective, but, you know, you can look at the numbers yourself. Well, one thing about Tom Brady, he may not have the highest stats, but he has the most game-winning drives in the regular season and in the playoffs. Peyton Manning, he choked in his college championship game, and then he won the Super Bowl once, but he also lost the Super Bowl. And he only has, like, I think, about like two or three playoff wins. And then a lot of those playoff losses were actually his fault. He threw an interception. You know, he was doing like a ta- Tony Romo, Peyton, Peyton Manning, I mean, Eli Manning kind of thing. Or, you know, I, these are all the quarterbacks I hate. Um, <laughs> and he, 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 he may have the stats, but when it comes down to the Super Bowl, when it comes down to winning it when it matters, he chokes. So who's the better quarterback? Who would you have rather playing for you? Somebody who's got all the stats or somebody who's, who plays like he's going to win it? Now, why am I mentioning this? <laughs> I'm sorry. I should have not mentioned this at all. I've been itching to tell Stephen. I've been trying to email him the article, but uh, it's like this. The Bible talks about run the way, race of faith and run it and train yourself. You know, like uh, Pastor Joel preached at a fire fire a couple months ago. He said there's a lot of people that train for marathons. But the vast majority of them, they don't train like they're going to win. They just train in order to finish the marathon. (laughs) Or even just to get halfway through the marathon. 
And if you look at the people that are training to win it and the ones that are training just to make it, they look completely different. And what the Bible tells us is, run this race of faith like you're going to win it. Train yourself. Discipline yourself like you're going to be a champion. Like you're, going to, you're, you're out there not to just play the Super Bowl game. You're out there to win the Super Bowl game. Amen? Amen. I, I want to lead a church full of people with that kind of Tom Brady spirit is what I'm trying to say. Get out there and win it. Let's get out there and train ourselves with the heart of a champion. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.